everyone. Welcome to another episode of Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Avila. I have started a new website. I am going to be launching a YouTube series pretty soon about all things for first-generation college students, for studying, for career resources, you name it. It's all in there. And I'm going to be switching over from careerjourneypodcast.com to this one soon. So go check it out. It's at www.thehelpfulprof.com. And all my social media is The Helpful Prof as well. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, soon to be YouTube. And there's a ton of great resources already at this website. I'm updating it currently and I will continually be updating it. So if you're ever looking for career resources, time management resources, studying resources, anything like that, head over to thehelpfulprof.com and you'll find it there. So today's episode is really intriguing because it's our very first Where Are They Now? series. And what I wanted to do is start checking up on past guests to see where are they now? What's happened? Has anything changed? And our first guest is Stacy Taustine. And if you remember from episode 11, she had just gotten a job as a career coach working for a company and she was loving it. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic when she started and she was enjoying every aspect of it. And I've been following her on social media and realized that she had changed and she had created her own career coaching company. And I wanted to figure out more about what went into that decision. So I'll save it for the actual episode. So without further ado, please enjoy Stacey Taustine. everyone, welcome to the Career Journey Podcast, where we explore exciting careers and how to get them from the people who flipped it. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Avila. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Yeah, so this is our first week back of in-person teaching. So it's it's interesting. I forgot how different it is. Like I knew it was different, but transitioning from teaching in person to online was a lot easier because like I'd already taught online and you know, you don't have a traditional first week because you get the course up and running and on the first week, like you're done. Everything's already ready to go. You're just waiting for stuff to be turned in. But in person, that's not the case. And I'm like, I'm exhausted at the end of the night. And I'm like, oh yeah, I have to like prep all this stuff and do all this stuff. And I forgot. It's such a different energy that you have to pull from. And I think everyone is realizing just how tiring that is after, you know, having a year on the couch. It's like, like, where did I summon that energy from originally? And like back, right? Like it was funny on Tuesday after my class, like all of a sudden my watch dinged that like I had hit my 10,000 steps and I was like, I forgot how much like of a workout it is. So it's been interesting. It's been fun. Like I realized how much I missed it. I thought, you know, I was so excited with like making online great that I forgot how fun it was to actually teach in person, but scary. Well, welcome, welcome back for you and all of your students. That's exciting. And I am also glad that we got to connect again. When was the last time we spoke? I don't remember. It it was a while ago, but 
to this day, I think our conversation is still one of my favorites. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. I loved getting to know you. And I feel like now we get to check in and, and see, you know, what's yeah. all been happening with each other. And like, um, I want to ask you how you're doing right now, but that's like the whole point of the show. So I'm going to say, that. okay, well t- tell me, so like you're doing, are you doing follow-ups? So you're the first one I have okay. you and one other person is coming in on Monday. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I follow you on social media. And so I knew that things have changed drastically for you since we last talked. And I want students, I want listeners really to hear that. I want them to know that like, it's not static. Cause when we last talked, it's, oh, I made it to this goal and I'm really happy where I'm at. And that's wonderful. And so like, here's my career story. And I want to do this series of where are they now with career changes so that you know, hey, even when you reach that goal, things still change or you still make changes or you still switch. You know, it's not static. I think a lot, like I had this idea when I was in college that you have a dream job and you get there and it's like happily ever after. And then it's like, well, what do you do in the happily ever after? Like you don't just sit there and do the same thing every day. So I'm trying to do a little series of where are they now with past guests just to see the changes that people make in their careers. I love that you're doing this, first of all, because I couldn't agree more that no one tells these stories, right? And you can tell by our love of reality TV in the U.S. (laughs) that like we get attached to like characters and their lives and- You know, I don't know if you, what I have to admit, I'm like a bachelor fan and I will watch bachelor in paradise just to see what people are doing now, right? What they're up to and how their lives have changed. And it's because we're always wondering, you know, like, how does it turn out? Like what happens after this, right? Like the, the final rose is kind of what you're describing of like that quote unquote happily ever after. It's like a storybook. It's like, okay, now they got married and like happily ever after I'm like, okay, well, what about the drudgery of everything that happens? Like what, what is the like unsexy part or what can I really expect? Or how does this look on a day-to-day basis? Because it's easy to be at a distance and imagine that everything is perfect. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's somewhere in between. (laughs) And I have one of those stories. So I'm happy to share, right? (laughs) Like one of those like juicy stories. It's emerging every day. And a lot of folks are in this moment right now where there's so much uncertainty. You know, I think yeah. even the landscape, they're calling it what the, the great uh, resignation, the, the great resignation, the big quit. I've heard so many oh, different yeah. terms um, and, and, you know, to be a student of yours graduating into this landscape, it must look oh scary. God. It must look overwhelming. And it reminds say, me, I graduated 2008, 2009. And my, I was always going to go to graduate school because I mean, all I ever wanted to do was be in school. I had no idea what else to do. And it kind of sucked for me because going into grad school, all of a sudden everybody was going into grad school. So it became much more competitive and that stayed pretty steady since 2008, 2009, where there's an increase in people going to grad school to the point where now my students are like, well, I have to go to graduate school because that's what you do. And I'm like, that's not at all the truth. Um, but it got a little harder to go into grad school because people couldn't go into the job market. There were no jobs to be had. So everybody had to keep going to school and keep paying money 
And we're still paying that money, right? Like for many people, there is residual effects of, you know, the continuous school train. And now we're in our late thirties and we're still paying off student loans. And who would have thought? Like, it's, it's so real. And, you know, I think that this conversation is the one that we can all have openly and honestly, and note that it'll probably change again in two years, right? Like I think that was one of the things that was different about 2008, 2009 compared to now is that they were still telling this story of climbing a ladder that like you come back and that would come back and that you would climb this ladder. And then eventually you'd be at the top of that ladder, looking down, proud of how you got there. What a lie. What a lie. Now it's that like ladders don't exist. You probably have to swim, you know, like there's a million other ways to, to travel like there's no ladders like start looking at you know I always feel so like and bouncing from lily pad to lily pad like there's all different ways to go about this thing and to your point it changes quickly and the more comfortable we are with change the more agile we'll be able to be and the more yeah. successful our students will be at navigating this super, you know, aggressive landscape where well, they, it's both exciting and scary. Like well, there's and the a lot of opportunity. And the landscape has changed a lot too, where before it was like, you could get a degree and then that was what you needed to have an edge. And so that thought is still pervasive in a lot of young people of all I need to do is get a degree and then I'll be competitive on the job market. But when everybody else has a degree, that's no longer the competition. So now it's changed where that agility, that ability to be flexible, creativity, the ability to apply whatever you're learning, those skills have become way more valuable because people aren't necessarily learning those. And, you know, especially in college where, you know, grades have become kind of the pinnacle that's all students are trying to get. So they're not really learning necessarily the skills that they need to be more employable and to be able to switch jobs and Again, it's this fallacy that you go and get a job and you live happily ever after. But I mean, honestly, since the boomers, I don't think that's really been a staple for any of the other generations of being able to stay stay in one job for 30 years. Like they just don't, I mean, the statistic now is that you can earn more over your lifetime if you keep switching jobs, because when you switch, you make more money than you do when you get a raise. And it's just astounding. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that um, also comes with a critical need for confidence, right? Like they're yeah. like when you said the skills that students aren't learning or want to learn more of, I think yeah. that we all, I would argue, struggle internally with that consistent belief in self that this idea that you have the power to master skills that you set your mind to, even if they're not the ones you're in school for, um, and then believe wholeheartedly that you have what you need to succeed, right? Because most folks express feeling imposter syndrome in many settings within your life, whether it's, you know, in relationships or at work that like that seeps into almost every facet of our lives. And yet the folks who are successful and, you know, raking in the dough are, are the ones who apply to the job that's out of reach or the ones who show up and, you know, learn skills while they're doing it right. Not necessarily waiting till they're experts. They're kind of already yeah. jumping in 
And that takes a certain amount of bravado that is denied some folks, right? Like some folks yeah. don't have someone cheerleading them their whole life. And, you know, it, there's an equity piece here too, right? Like how do we get all of our students feeling empowered enough to acquire the skills that they want and then go after what they want? Because if they don't, someone else will, right? And that's the thing that yeah. I, I'm working with a lot of clients around, which is that like, if not, then who, right? right. Like, or not, not now, who, then when? Right. And, and if, and if we don't have someone to bounce that off of, or to work through whatever it is that's holding us back there, we could sit still for too long. Right. Like, I think that's right. like the analysis paralysis that so many people have been in for years. And this global pandemic has kind of bubbled that up to a surface, which is, you know, I've had these feelings of discord. I've had these feelings of, is this all there is, or I've had these feelings of this is the wrong field for me, but I keep going through the motions and now that someone pressed a pause button of sorts where like life got upended, people are kind of saying, well, if not now, then when, right. hence this like, you know, great <laughs> quit. So, so Which is good. Are, I think this is a good thing that kind of came out of it of people are really analyzing what matters to them. And I think there's a myth out there about the imposter syndrome that it goes away. At least that was my experience. Like when I was in college, I was like, okay, at some point I'm going to know enough to be able to like be the expert. And now I'm 35 and I'm a college professor and I'm like, I'm still not the expert, but to my students I am. And I have to like keep reminding me like, oh yeah, they think that I'm like the professors that I had that I thought were so amazing and smart. And like, it's so weird. And so like the imposter syndrome doesn't go away. So what you're saying of, at some point, you just need to jump in and do it, even if you're afraid, even if you think you're not the best, even if you think that you're the imposter, like, the, like exactly what you're saying, the people out there that are successful are the people that are doing it despite their imposter syndrome. It's not that they don't have it, it's that they're not listening to it as much, or like you're saying, they have a cheerleader that helps them kind of overcome it a little bit more. A hundred percent. And I, I think to your point about it, not never, ever going away, I would say, I try to remind myself that's a good thing, right? Like humility is a good thing. And yeah. I call it like responsible curiosity, right? Like if you don't have that desire to always be curious and pushing yourself to learn more and get better and continue to grow in whatever it is that you're doing you, you will lose interest or it will get stagnant. And so if we all felt like the expert hundred percent of the time, and we're so good that we stopped asking questions, like it becomes irresponsible at a point right. because then we're not doing the best for who we serve, which in your case is students, right? So yeah. thank goodness. You don't think you're, you're the absolute, you know, professory professor. I'm of all the smartest professor, person in the world, right? Like you, you are actually doing a service to your students yeah. because you're always you know, combing for more and you're getting them the best resources by learning yourself. And so to all of us who are out here trying to do a thing, it's like, let me practice responsible curiosity. Let me consistently, you know, challenge myself to get better at what I'm doing and know that I'm not already an expert. I'm not perfect. I'm not already the most prepared person to be doing the thing, but that's still good enough to do the thing because there's somebody that needs me to do this. And that's what you're saying is like, okay, as long as you can recognize that and live in that, then it's enough to let yourself start to thrive and start to take yeah. on some of these big goals for ourselves. And this is, so this conversation is really relevant to me right now because I'm starting a couple new things that I am like 
terrified of. So like I'm starting this YouTube channel for students of that hidden curriculum, like what do students need to know? And I was like racking my brain for months and I'm like, what is everything I need to tell them? Like I asked my students, I was like, what do you want to know? And I'm like, this stuff's too basic. Like I need them to know like these big, huge things. Like, I, you know, I've been in school for 20 years. What have I learned? And then I was doing like a TikTok and I mentioned something and like it blew up in that like students wanted to know more basic, like little things. And I'm like, oh, I had to remind myself, like get rid of that imposter syndrome and be like, no, remember back when I was like a freshman, I knew nothing. So like all these little things that I thought were a little bit more, you know, that most people probably already know this. No, not everybody knows that. And that's the whole point. That's exactly why I kind of started the channel. And so it's this idea of remembering that even if I don't think I'm the expert, like I'm not the greatest, I'm not the best. I still have a lot to, to go, but I still might know more than somebody else who's starting and I can still help them. Like you're saying, kind of like a ladder in a sense, like I'm not at the top of the ladder, but I'm not at the bottom of the ladder either. So I can take people from the bottom and try to help get them up to where I am. Um, and that can happen in anybody's career in anybody's life. And at any time, even if you're still in school, even if you're still a teenager or whatever, we've seen tons of teenagers be able to do this type of thing way better than I can. Um, so age, it shouldn't be a factor. I mean, imposter syndrome, and like you're saying humility, like Honestly, people don't like people that aren't humble at all anyways, then they become annoying. So it's a good trait, I guess. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point about my journey, I think when you get to that place where you love your work and you get to do the work you love, you're like, wow, you know, this is what I always dreamed of. I'm working for a startup or a company that's mission aligned. I'm getting a chance to, to do what I wake up to do and like, maybe I have this dream of having my own business, right? Like I was that kid who wanted to sell strawberries. Like that was the thing that lit up my heart, you know, from the very beginning of like creating your own business plan, you know, struggling to make the first dollar. Right. And then, you know, feeling so proud when the neighborhood started talking about like the strawberries that, you know, (laughs) came in the right kind of cellophane, right? Like that was the most exciting thing to me. Um, and it was something that my mom looked at me sideways. She's like, Stacy, you're 11 years old and you're trying to sell the neighborhood strawberries, you know, like, can you not, can you not, you know, like, why don't you just do what the other kids are doing with the lemonade, you know, like the lemonade has been done before do the lemonade, you know, it's been done before. Do something new. (laughs) Bless her heart. You know, she wanted me to succeed, right? Like she wanted me to be successful the way all parents want for their kids. And all successful entrepreneurs have this exact story behind where like they sold something around the neighborhood that like nobody else sold and they made it work. (laughs) And it's true. Right. But we forget it as adults, right? Like that lesson is cute when you're talking about strawberries versus lemonade, but when it comes down to how am I going to get my health insurance and how am I going to, you know, pay pay for those student loans I'm still paying off and how am I going to lights and electricity I mean, what if I I actually want a family plan, right? Like maybe I want to have kids in the next five years. Do people have businesses and have kids at the same time, right? Like all of those questions flood through your mind and you're like, how do you, how do you justify betting on yourself? Like, what is the, like, you have to have a partner who you can be on their insurance plan. Nope. I didn't have that. You know, like there's, there's like ways that we put off till the right time 
when to do the thing that we're scared of. And so, you know, to your point of, you know, the last time we connected, I jumped off that ledge and yes, it's the happiest so, I've ever been in my life. I mean, uh, I really truly want to say that like, that's not the case for everyone. And I feel very lucky to be in that moment right now. Um, and terrified at the same time, like the happiest and equally terrified and unstable. Right. But so some, some level of terrified is necessary to fully be happy. I think, mm-hmm. um, so this brings me where we should have started. This is why I always love our conversations. We always go somewhere else. Um, <laughs> so last time we spoke to you, you had just started a new job at Teal. So you were a professional coach, a career coach, helping people figure out career moves. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic, I think. I think we met in like, it was probably May or June of 2020. It was pretty early on. Yeah. Um, or June or July. So it was really early on in the pandemic. You had um, started working there. You were working again with people that were having really big transitions. It was the pandemic. Some people were getting laid off. Um, And at that time you were happy in that job. You had relatively started it recently and you were happy and you liked moving into kind of a career coach position. And then, like I mentioned earlier, I follow you on social media. So I realized pretty soon after we talked that you made some big changes. So let's jump jump into those. So what happened? You were working at Teal and what happened? And it was amazing to work at the sheer volume I was working at, at that Mm -hmm. time, you know, just to understand the scale, I had the opportunity to coach 2000 people during the eight months that I was there, um, really deeply. And so not just like, uh, you know, Oh, hello, let's talk about your goal moving on. I mean, these are folks that I met with three times a week for an hour at a time. We're in relationships with over Slack, um, embedded in their stories. They were welcoming me into their lives in a way that I couldn't have asked for an opportunity like that to be trusted and, and to be connected with people who are so incredible. I mean, these are professionals who are, you know, taking on roles that are changing the world, right? Like they're in tech designing, you know, the latest technology for sustainable cars, right? Like they're working to, you know, crack the glass ceiling for women and are helping to build the chief network. Like these are all people who, when I met them, were in the dark days of uncertainty where you're not sure where the the paycheck is going to come from. And for me, it was like being in the presence of limitless potential, right? Like, you know what potential looks like because you're a teacher. So every time you're in a room with students, you just feel everything that they have to offer. And And that that takes root somewhere, everybody better watch out because it's going to change things for, for real and for good. Um, and so I got to meet all of them and to be a support system and a strategist with them, right? Like, what is it going to take to get to the right place at that unpredictable moment, make the right decision for yourself, and then be in a position to bring other people up with you after you're done. Right. And so it was so cool to see, you know, person by person by person, how each and every one of them kind of landed somewhere. Right. And and you get to kind of, months. 
And you get to be like a little footnote in the story. Like even if the footnote's not acknowledged, you know that like you got to be a little tiny bit of a part of that. Like it's not you that created them. They're obviously we're gonna go wherever they needed to go before, but like just to be a part of that journey. Like I have so many students that I'm like, I can't wait to see where you go, like where those roots take off. Like just to know that I got to like see a part of that journey as it was going is so much fun. Absolutely. And, and that network of incredible humans kind of like took on a life of its own, right? Like they all began helping each other land roles. They all began like supporting one another, one another. And, you know, to be honest, I wish it was a more glamorous story. It was actually really heartbreaking for me, but what I love the most about my role was coaching and training and being in the presence of these folks and Mm -hmm. he all decided to go in a different direction. Um, so they kind of told me, Hey, you know, this isn't going to work for us anymore. We actually, you know, are going to kind of remove your position. Wow. And so for me, that was absolutely devastating, right? I'm thinking things are going great. I'm thinking this is like something really special. We're building this incredible thing. Um, but you know, to every founder when they have a vision and, you know, they have a plan, right? Like that's for them to decide and that's for them to build kind of what they believe people need. And so I definitely cried myself to sleep a lot. Like I was like, what do you do now? Like I got to the place that I love, I'm doing the work I love and I saw it going somewhere. Right. And I think this is the part that no one tells, right? Like this is the moment where everyone would say, oh, I just had the aha moment that I wanted to start my own business. That's not what happened, right? Like what happened was the road to the future I thought I was building kind of ended. And I'm like, well, shoot, like, what do you do now? Right? Like I'd always wanted to have a business and I had built the foundations for that, right? Like I had built my LLC in 2017. I had always had clients, you know, for the side hustle nights and weekends. And so it's not a a surprise that I could be like, I had been building those foundations. Right. But I wasn't ready or I didn't think I was ready. Right. Like I had had that and I I was keeping it like a safety shoot, right? Like if you have to, you know, abort, like, how do you have something to land on? And in this case, I was like, I should just look for another full time, right? Like that's how I'll have healthcare. That's how this will make sense. That's how I'll get through the global pandemic. And then I was like, this is the first time you've ever worked remotely. And this is the first time you've ever felt your best, right? I managed chronic illness for myself and this is the healthiest I've been in 15 years. And so it got to that point where it was not just about a career decision. It's about a life decision. Like what kind of life do you want to build? What kind of world do you want to have for yourself? And in that moment, I was like, stop chasing answers that don't fit, right? Like stop being the square peg in round holes. Think about how to build a square hole that fits your square (laughs) peg, right? Like it was like this aha moment for me where I was like, this is the definite harder route. Like this is the route that doesn't have a pathway. This is the one that's risky. This is the one that you can fall on your face. This is the one where you could publicly humiliate yourself because you can put out there that you have a business plan and then no one uses it. Right. Right. Or no one wants, you know, to, to get that support from you. And so I would say it was like 
truly a transformative moment for me where I was like, and what will you die? Right. Like, will you die if nobody, you know, really wants what you have to offer? You know, there are plenty of other businesses out there that are venture backed and have tons of support and they don't work. Right. Right. They, they, with the best of intentions, they don't work. And so it's okay to try and fail, but you'll never know unless you try. So, you know, that that's kind of the route that I went, which is like, let's try this thing. And it started to work. (laughs) I don't know if it, I don't know if it will forever, but it's, it's working enough for me to keep the lights on and for me to love what I'm doing every single day. Well, it's kind of that, if not now, then when kind of happened. I like that you mentioned that this is a part of the story that nobody talks about when like there's a hardship, right? Because there's always ups and downs. Like life is a roller coaster. There's ups and downs. Like my husband and I talk about this in marriage all the time. Like somebody gave us the advice that there was going to be down days, down weeks, down months, down years. And we were getting married and me and my husband were like, down years? Like, how do you do that? And now we're coming out of like a down couple, like two years. And we're like, oh, if somebody hadn't given us that advice, I think we probably would have quit earlier. But since we knew that that was normal, it kept us going. And I think it's the same way in business of you have to remember that there are going to be down periods, even at your dream job. And in a way, you did what I hope everybody does of kind of taking the silver lining of this was horrible. And you sat in those emotions, you cried yourself to sleep, you know, it's okay to kind of be defeated for a little while, but then it's, I mean, you have the same thought process. I always do. I want the safe route, right? So I want to go, you know, I'm going to get another nine to five because then I'm working for somebody else. I don't have to be making the decisions. I don't have to worry if it fails. And then kind of that, if not now, then when, like, I know there's been a couple of points in my life where if I didn't get it started, like this podcast, I had the idea, I knew I wanted to do it. And I'm like, if I don't do it, now, like I'm never going to do it. And then it's always just going to be an idea. Um, so I'm really glad that you took that step. Um, so how did that start looking? So now you had the idea, you finally decided I'm going to go with it. How did you start building it? Again, <laughs> those in PR would be like, Stacy, stop talking right now. Like this is the no, part. This is the point of this podcast is to be real. <laughs> Tell them and- the truth. The, the real truth is I was like, well, gosh, like I don't have any venture backing, like all of these other founders and people out here doing the real thing. They go and get people to invest in them. They do pitch contests. Like they, they start with something. Right. And I was like, Hmm, <laughs> no. Sound fun. like, no, like the, the thing that I love about entrepreneurship and building something that you believe in is when you can do it on your own terms. And what I've learned kind of in the startup world and, and through relationships that I've had the pleasure of building with other founders, particularly women and people of color who have visions for truly socially impactful work uh, and organizations, businesses uh, that, that serve change, right? Like that serve disrupting the status quo. Yeah. They struggle to get the venture backing that they need because you have to prove where you're going to kind of change the bottom line within a series of weeks or months or, or even a year, right? When what we know about real change is that it takes 
time, time and energy and commitment and trust and relationships that thrive when you give them space to grow the way they should. And so there was this feeling of like, how the hell am I going (laughs) to do this without any money? And, you know, what would it take to grow this thing from the ground up when I have $0 in this bank account? Right. And so my sense was that I didn't have any money to spend, right? Like when you start a business, the first thing you think is how do I get a website? How do I get a logo? Like I need a legitimate brand. Like I need to be able to advertise that that I have. Right. So the answer is I I learned how to do it myself. Right. Like I stayed up all night, lots of nights in a row learning Wix and I loved it. Like I went to school for journalism and mass communication, shout out to UW school of journalism. Uh, there was a project we did way back when, where we had to learn how to make our own site. And I remember sitting in college library and sobbing with one of my classmates during one of the Why biggest does this matter? snowstorms that ever hit Madison, Wisconsin. And I was like, I'm going to sleep in college library and I'm still not going to have a website. Like there is nothing I'm going to be able to do to get this right. And what the hell do I even need to know code for? Right. Like I really, really was convinced that I would never, ever need it. I wouldn't want it. Didn't care. I wanted to do hard journalism and that's all I wanted. And I look back and I think, well, thank you J202 for, you know, giving me the grit I needed to get through this moment. Right. And so anyone who's in school and like questioning, what the hell they're doing this for. Your professor always knows what they're doing. There was merit to the suffering, I'll (laughs) say. Like there was merit to the grit that I needed to get through something that was really, really hard and that I didn't know how to do it because that's what I've needed the most in this process is like sheer grit and fortitude to say, all right, so this is the first version of the website. It looks horrific. And I'm going to stay up all night tonight and by, you know, 7 7 a.m. tomorrow morning, it's going to look different. And it's going to go live again. And maybe people will traffic that website or maybe they won't, but it's going to look better than it was yesterday. And so that process began of just iteration. And And it's that idea of it doesn't have to be perfect. You can change it once it's already out there. It doesn't have to be like your first launch of your website or you can even rebrand your logo. My mom has been in business since I was born. So she's been in business for about 32 years and she just changed her logo two years ago. And I'm like, you can change it. Like, I mean, Staples just changed their logo. I'm like, you can, it doesn't have to be perfect. You can change it. It's like growing up in front of people. You know, it's like when, when we're little, we have braces and goals and like we grow up in front of people and it's an uncomfortable time. You know, like the teenage years are rough. And and I feel like sometimes it's like my adult teenage years, right? It's like, okay, like this is the, the version of me that isn't polished, but it's brave and it's stubborn and it's ready. I was just going to ask that. How did you choose the name? So the name is stubborn heart consulting, which I love. How did you choose that name? Thank you. Um, it's actually kind of a deep story. I, um, I'm not not sure if I shared this with you, but back in 2016, I, almost passed away from a spontaneous perforation, which is a very weird thing to have happen. I like collapsed on the floor of the 86th street subway station in Manhattan, which if 
you've spent time on the subway that is not, not a, a great place, place to collapse. <laughs> like, it's really not. Um, I've seen it up close um, oh. more than anyone should. But uh, the result of that was that by the series of miracles, the incredible doctors at Mount Sinai were able to pull off life-saving surgery. They patched my intestines and I woke up in the hospital in earth shattering pain. I mean, like pain, I can't describe to anyone. And I spent almost a month in the hospital kind of dealing with sepsis and trying to, to shake off what, what that experience was, um, and really feeling hopeless. I mean, I was at like a very dark place where I was like, if this is what life is, then I don't, I don't want it. Right. Like, I don't want this kind of pain forever. I don't want this. Like I did a good job. Like I'm young, but I, 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 I'm happy with my life. Like, let me go, you know, like this don't make live like this. And I don't remember who it was, but a friend sent me a quote and it said, don't give up no matter how much you want to, the universe always falls in love with a stubborn heart. And what I took from that was like, you don't have to be happy about it. You don't have to be, you know, Susie positive here, but like, you do need to like keep going. And that stubbornness is going to be the thing that gets you through. And when you do like the universe will answer this with some sort of, you know, worthwhile set of circumstances that remind you of why you fought so hard to be here. Right. And like that idea that I was going to trust that stubbornness inside and, and do it without any direction. Right. Like normally people say I had to wake up to live for X or I had to wake up to do for Y. I was like, I did a lot of things I'm proud of, you know, like what's left. And, you know, at that point I was like, all right, so stubborn was something I'm good at. Like I'll just keep (laughs) doing this. Um, and before you knew it, like, it was very clear to me, like it was worth fighting for, like the life that I was waking up for was one where I could have tough conversations with like people that I had always been afraid to confront, you know, to your point about marriage and family and life in general, like it isn't always roses, right? Like that's a lot mostly not roses. Mostly not roses. Mostly I mean, not. and then there are really beautiful roses within it that like, you're like, gosh, this was all worth it. You know, like everyone looks at their kids and like, it was so worth it, but they never talk about those first two years. So, they didn't except eat. every day is painful <laughs> when you have little kids and you like, look at them smile at like, you know, when they're asleep, that's when I'm like, oh, it's worth it. And then they wake up and I'm like, why? Yeah. Like, I, I love you so much, but please just let mommy rest, right? Like just for a moment, or let me be me for a second. I, I used to have, you know, a whole bunch of, of things that I cared about person. before you. Yeah. So long story short, that's where the name comes from. I wanted to bring that to my work. This idea that stubbornness is in all of us, whether we want to use it or not. And so if you tap into it, like it's worthwhile. That's a great story. I like it. Okay. So you are working day and night. You're getting the logo, you're getting a website, you're getting all this stuff, which turned out amazing, by the way. I love it. I, again, follow it on social media and I think it turned out fantastic. Thank you. So how did you get people to come? Was it just launching the website? Did you do marketing? What you, what strategy? I think this is where I will always double down, which is relationships, relationships, relationships. Um, The people who I work with are people who 
I have come across in the journey, right? In working at Teal and working in the landscape of just people who connect to that idea of stubbornness. Like they connect to that idea of wanting to push themselves to have the life, the career, the experience that they want out of life, even when it's hard. Um, and even when they don't know how to do it. And so I'd say like, it's not just about getting clients. It's about getting the right clients. You know, I think there are 8 million people out there who are selling coaching services. I think never before have there been more people selling, you know, leadership training, coaching development, similar to the way you felt about starting a podcast during 2020, right. Is like, gosh, like of all the times to start something like this couldn't be a less opportune time because 8 million other people are doing it. Um, but I think the reality is kind of going back to what you said before about, but there's always going to be the right audience for you, right? Even amongst a crowded landscape, there's, there's a certain set of people that are right for what you have to share. Mm -hmm. And so my goal was to help those people find me and for me to make myself available to them because not everyone is who I'm looking for, right? Like not everyone is uh, the corporate CEO who is trying to figure out how to expand their bottom line, right? Like there's great coaches for that and they will be super available. I help people make money as well, but when their mission and vision is about getting connected to people who could benefit from what they have to offer, right? Like it's a different orientation to the bottom line. And so the, the best part for me was connecting with other entrepreneurs and founders and people who had a similar philosophy. And that leads me to um, a couple of champions who I met uh, through networking. They are starting this sort of mission they're calling uh, Authentech. Um, like and it was a collection of founders who are thinking about doing business differently. They want to support the the changing economy by creating products, services, and technology that are about servicing people and their needs rather than benefiting from their data or, you know, taking advantage of kind of their consumer insights, right? Like it's switching up the way that we're doing so that you don't have to quote unquote market to people, right? Like you just have to find the people who need you and then make what you have available. And that's where I'm interested in spending my time, right? Like I want to be that kind of an entrepreneur who can not spend my time learning how to market, but actually using the skills that I believe in about community and relationships and nurturing folks through conversation, through relationship, and then getting exactly what they need in front of them so that they feel successful and can let the next person know, here's how it helped me. And this is why, you know, you might benefit from it too. And so that's my focus. And it has been since the launch in January is just like, okay, here's what I can do. I have spent my entire career partnering with people to tell their story, to feel more confident in what they do and to get that in front of the right stakeholders so that they can land the job that they've dreamed of, or so that they can start the business that they want, or, uh, you know, even just take some time for yourself and decide, Hey, I don't want any of those things. I actually (laughs) want to figure out how to prioritize myself once a week, right? Whatever it is. 
I think I see myself as that thought partner who, you know, is unabashedly willing to (laughs) collaborate and isn't really an expert, right? I think you can go and pay people who claim to be experts, but a lot of times you need a thought partner. Like you need someone who's in the weeds with you and rigorous and willing to pro con it out and to be honest and share their own experiences, right? To your point where you needed that couple to say to you, we've had down years and that changed the way you thought about marriage. Someone has to be willing to share and it has to be a reciprocal kind of conversation. And so that's the benefit uh, I see in doing the work this way, which is that like, there are tons of reasons for folks I work with to also have a therapist and to also, you know, seek support that is 360 for them but I can do this work and be an asset for someone in a way that isn't forever, right? Like I don't want lifetime clients. I want you to know that I'm out there if you need me, but at the same time, I want everyone I work with to be like, I got this. I'm good. Like I'm, I'm on my road to my own success. Well, I'm glad you mentioned therapy because the whole time you were talking, I was like, this sounds to me like therapy in the sense of most of the time therapy is just having a thought partner of somebody else to bounce ideas off, do the pro con list, like help you think things through. And then also that you're not supposed to be there for the lifetime you're supposed to leave. And so I like this idea of having it in multiple areas of your life, because even if you're starting something completely on your own, you always need somebody to bounce ideas off of or to think about things because we only have one way of looking at things. And as many, as hard as we try, to look at things from different angles. Like I have to try to look at things through student angles. And that used to be a lot easier for me, but every year it gets a little bit harder and harder because my life is moving farther and farther away from being that undergrad student. And so I have to keep like interacting with my students. What do you think? Like, how does this work for you? How would this work? You know, their lives are drastically different than when I went to school the landscape is completely different. So I need to bounce ideas off of other people. And so just having that connection with somebody else is imperative, especially if you're in that down moment, trying to start a career or trying to make changes, you really do need somebody to help you through it. I, I love that. My favorite part of working with some of my clients too, is that they call me back in every once in a while. It's like, getting, I say, sometimes it feels like being Polly pocket, you know, like that little like person who's like hanging out in Polytown. And whenever you're looking for that person to bounce things off of, to, to move the needle, to take something to the next level, you're available. It's like, and there's no judgment, right? Like I remember at one point early in my career, I was making a shift from, you know, public sector into nonprofit. And I was like, I have questions here about jargon. Like people keep using these certain terms. There's always things. Like I want to put a pin in this. And I, you know, I was like, when I was teaching, that was not a thing that people were talking about. And so where do you go with those secret questions that you maybe don't feel comfortable to ask at work, but like you want to bounce off of someone so that you feel more in command of the language, right? Like how cool to have, you know, Polly pocket on, on the side to say, what up? Like, Hey, they keep using all these terms in my meetings. Let's break them down so that I no longer see them as a barrier to my own success. I actually want to just like ask my question without fear of judgment. And I just want to feel good about how I'm showing up. Awesome. Like call me up, like, let's have that session because that's how people change their own 
approach to their work, right? It's like when they feel confident and when they feel like they're not spending time in their head, sorting through what people are using in the meeting to keep them out, they show up for it wholeheartedly and share their ideas in a way that is different than when you're trying so hard to, to just navigate all of that. And so that's one of my favorite parts about this work is just like being ready and available to get called in so that people don't waste time in that space where they deserve to be sharing their ideas and contributing in a way that moves their organizations along, right? Like there's so much productivity, ingenuity change that is slowed up and even stopped in our corporate and public and private sectors, just because of that hesitancy and that sense that like only some people have the space to share their ideas or there's a use of jargon or there's a use of uh, kind of like culture fit, quote unquote, that like keeps people from feeling uh, invested in and welcome to share. And so anyway, it can support breaking down those barriers and partnering with people who are like, actually I'm here and I have a lot to say. And I think that this will solve A, B, and C problems for us. That's the work that I want to be doing forever. See, you're just like a teacher. We have that same where my students have so much trouble asking questions or contributing to the discussion. And a lot of my work is just you belong here and your opinions and your voice matters and you need to figure out how to use that voice because like you were saying, that's the corporate world, no matter what job, if it's obviously it's in education, it's in the corporate world, there's jargon everywhere, there's jargon in, in academia, there's hidden curriculum, what we call it, there's the same thing in any corporate sector. Um, so I wanted to ask another like random question, because you mentioned that your goal is to eventually have your clients be successful and then no longer need you. Do you get to follow up with them and see where they go? Because that's the worst part of my job is I get so connected to students and then they leave. And some of them I get to stay in touch with, but a lot of them just go out into the ether and I never get to know like where they went. So do you get to follow up? Do you get to see like what happened and how they're doing? So... Partially yes, partially no. Uh, I think the effort that I'm making now is to have a soft spot to land um, no matter where people go. I think there's this thing that we go through as coaches, educators, trainers, facilitators. Um, I also teach courses um, in early management and supervision. And so I think there there's this desire to know how it impacts their workplace once they've finished, right? Like I want to know how you put it into practice. I want to know how it's changed the way that your employees feel now that you're showing up differently. Um, and like, yeah. I created uh, what I call the stubborn heart network as uh, a band-aid for this uh, so that there's an opportunity to check back in if you want to, or yeah. to update the, the community of folks who feel aligned by this philosophy that like our stubbornness looks different. We're all working in different industries. We're at different stages of life. Uh, we have intergenerational perspectives, but it's kind of a home base where people can come back and check in. And so I found that so far folks do so. Um, we, I have a, a weekly Q and a, it's actually today at one, um, where folks log in and, and we talk and, and check in at work this week, 
can I bounce this off of some people? And then a couple of folks will weigh in and share their thoughts. That's my my attempt to create like a, a perpetual space to be if you want yeah. to, but it's also not something that I expect of people, right? Like part of that whole go out and fly thing is like, you don't have to report back in, right. like that's your achievement. That's your life. That's your goals. And so go out and never look back if that's what you want. <laughs> and, and I will always be proud and supportive of that. So uh, that's through Mighty Network. I actually love them. Oh, yeah, um, I use them for a few writing groups. Yeah, really cool uh, tech solution. It doesn't solve for like staying in touch always, but I think it is a really nice way to, to have something available if people want it. Right. I like it. Yeah. So you launched officially in January. It's now August when we're meeting right now. How has everything changed in those eight months? So, uh, I would say everything changed, like in the <laughs> sense that I have, like, a, I set up my little office here. It's, um, kind of like my home base. I wake up every day, I flip the covers over and I come to my office. So I feel nice like I'm space. going yeah. to work. Um, and I am connected through all of my clients. Uh, some clients are actually, not people, they're organizations. And so I can uh, communicate with them via Zoom, meet with all the stakeholders necessary to like achieve our project goals. Um, And it's a very remote life. I am embracing it, I'm enjoying it. I've I've been able to do one retreat in person since, um, also similar to you, loved that and look forward to being able to do more um, once the world feels a little safer for folks. Um, but yeah, it's just been really enjoyable. I would say just having the chance to partner with my clients and achieve the goals that they're looking forward to achieving in partnership with them. I do feel that same sense of like joy and excitement when they land the job or right. when they publish the book or when they make the, the career transition that they're looking for. There's like the, the thought partner high, I guess, of like, yeah. yes, like they made their decision and they want it and they got it. And, and that's the thing that I guess, um, for me, the, those like highs fuel the experience so that even yeah. when it gets hard where I'm like, oh gosh, I need to figure out where my client pipeline is going to come from next month or, oh gosh, like, I don't know, you know, if I'm going to have enough contracts for the first year, right? Like those things are happening simultaneously, but the wins that I'm getting with the clients that I have help to get through those hard moments and, you know, to learn more about the things I don't know, right? Like I think there's no entrepreneur out there who feels like an expert in every facet of what it takes to run a business. For me, the accounting and the finance side is where the trouble lies, right? Like learning how to do the things that I never wanted to do um, and do them well, because I want everything else to work is definitely like the pain point for me of like being in a first year of business. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to do. um, And it never feels like you're doing enough, but um, trying to stay present and say, this is worth it because I had three incredible coaching conversations this morning and these folks are all moving the needle and the rest will figure itself out as we go, right? Like just having grace for yourself and never 
letting yourself kind of pop your own balloon. Like, I feel like there's an instinct where you want to just like constantly poke holes and where you're not good enough yet or where you haven't come far enough yet. But I try to stay really present and aware of the joy that comes with this experience and taking a risk and knowing that at any point, anyone could succeed. I think that's the scariest part is like, what if it really works? Not what if it fails, but like, what if it really works? Well, sometimes that's scarier because your whole life changes if it really, really works. You know, I mean, eventually you might spiral where you can hire somebody to do that bookkeeping or, you know, you might, it's scary to think about what happens if it gets big. And that's, that's the thing is, and my partner, thankfully is someone who he's like, but what if it works, Stace? Like, what if it works? And so he he stays on me with that and like really helps me to, to stay grounded and like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it might not. And, you know, you'll deal with that when, but it's almost scarier to imagine like you could have changed your whole life for the better and it was worth it. And that's the part that I try to stay in is like, all right, like so far, so good. Well, I think <laughs> as humans, we have this, natural sense to like embrace the negative easier than like the positive so I remember in college there was a moment like I like most college students in existential crises like I was severely depressed I had all this anxiety I like I didn't really like like where I was in terms of friends I didn't like the decisions I was making at school I didn't like that like I kept making all these mistakes and like there was one time, oh my gosh, it's such a sad story, but there's one time, so I was a criminal justice minor and there was this one class and we had to do these three outside of class activities. We had to do like a ride along. We had to go see the jail. Um, and then we had to like interview somebody in the field we wanted. All three things I like desperately wanted to do. I was so excited. I was like, these are the things that like, I can't believe we get to do these but I'm an introvert and I'm anxious and I'm a millennial. So I don't like calling people. And so like I had to call to set up the ride along and I got too nervous and I didn't do it. Um, and then for the visit to the jail, I remember I, I tend to not be able to find things sometimes. So I went like an hour early to make sure I could find where I was supposed to be. And I walked around for an hour and couldn't find it. And then I missed the time to go in. And so I always remember this as a teacher because I was so excited to do those things. But on the teacher side, it probably looked like I was like slacking off and not wanting to do it. But it was like these internal things. And I remember like coming home that night when I like missed the jail tour, I sat down on my ground and I cried for like an hour. And I just remember sitting there and I was like, here's the deal. You are going to have to change. And that means you're going to have to like new things. It means you're going to have to make new decisions. It means you're going to have to get rid of your friends. You're going to have to make new friends. Are you ready for this? And I just remember having this pep talk with myself, like wanting to stay where I was. Like it was so much easier if I just stayed comfortable in all this misery than if I like actually picked myself up and changed my life. And that was the moment I kind of changed everything and it worked out for the better but it was really, really scary. I am just like, uh, of your, 
ability to just like share the nuance of that story. Was, you know, like I just, I'm, I feel so <laughs> able to understand your experience, just the way you shared that. And I think there's something to what you're saying about all of us and our ability to block our own happiness and like our yes. own opportunity for change. Cause it's easy to stay comfortable. And I mean, you had to, like, I had to change everything. I literally got all new friends. Like my friends didn't stay with me obviously because they were not great people and manipulating. And when you're no longer able to be manipulated, people don't want to be with you. Um, and it's scary because you have to change everything for that good. And it's hard. But, you know, like I did and like you did too, you had that down period too. I mean, almost analogous where you were crying at night and had to, what if it turns out good? It'll be fine. I just have to change everything. And so we do have a tendency to sit comfortable in the negative and it, it's really scary to make good changes as much as it is to make hard changes. Yeah. And I mean, to anyone who listens to this podcast, I think it could all boil down to that story you just shared, which is just like, <laughs> if you're in that moment, like there's no judgment, right? Like they, I think there's like this idea that, you know, people who coach or people who teach or people who like talk about life stuff are just like, grab a hold of this moment and, and make the change, right? Like it's not that, that? <laughs> it's not that simple. And what you described is like, only, you know, when you're ready, only, yeah. you know, when sitting in that discomfort is no longer worth it to you because the loss outweighs the gain, right? Like you had to make that decision for yourself and it came from your own internal power and there's nobody else who can make that happen for us. And, you know, it, you can't pay for it. You can't buy a service that does it. Like there's nothing out there that, you know, replicates what you did in that moment, which was like, feel ready for what you were about to do. Well, and a lot so of times it's time, like you can't force it. It only happens when you're ready. And a lot of times it's not that explicit. Like I've been going through a similar life transition right now where I like, haven't been as happy. And I had, you know, I was like begging for that time. Like I talked to my therapist all the time. I was like, back in college, like it was so simple. It was, I can go this, like I can stay in the route I'm going or I can move forward and change. And so it was easy because at least I knew what my two options were and where to go. Um, but it's not always that simple. Like now it's like, okay, I know I have two options, but I cannot for the life of me figure out what they are yet. Um, so at this point, like you were saying, I'm just not ready to kind of figure it out. And so a lot of times we're not lucky enough or we're not at the time where we can consciously think. So sometimes we have to unconsciously make those decisions. Yeah. And, and the phase that you're describing, I always call like data gathering and it's a real, like, it's not a passive exercise. Like it's a real intentional effort that you're making to be present and to observe all of the data, right. To your right. point, you're like, I know that there is a change that needs to happen. I'm not sure what it is, but this is actually part of a process that I'm embracing actively. It's not that I'm sitting by and letting my life happen to me. I need to take the time to gather as much data as possible to better understand what those pathway options are. And right. so, you know, that's a huge part of this process. Mm -hmm. And I always encourage my clients not to act too quickly or too rashly right. because of what you're saying, which is you might miss some of the most critical data, right? Like you <laughs> might need to spend some time in the discontent or the discord to understand what it exactly is that's not sitting right with you. And while that process is icky, it 
hurts. It might be uncomfortable. Sometimes that data gathering phase can't be rushed. And so to your point, it's like, that's not me opting out. That's me opting in. I'm really opting into making myself ready for when I'm ready. And I think, you know, even in my story, the starting the LLC and, you know, creating a business, even when I wasn't ready to have one is the same thing, right? Like you're, it's okay to do bite-sized chunks of exploration in the areas where you are curious because you never know when you're going to want them and when you're going to want to just like have them at your, your disposal. And so I think we all have to give ourselves like a little pat on the back for the little things that we're doing, whether it's data gathering or, you know, setting some, you know, of the foundations in place, like they serve us later. So no harm. Your whole life can't be big monumental moments. Otherwise like, Oh my gosh. Right, exactly. You know, you have to have the little times and the downtimes and the things in between. Well, this has been so amazing as usual. I'm going to have you on like every week because it's just fun. It's too (laughs) fun. I love talking with you, Brittany. And I am so glad that you stayed with this because I think you're a phenomenal host. You really ask the best questions and you make me and I'm sure all of your guests feel comfortable and able to share and you get to the real meat of stuff. You know, it's not just the surface level. So I mean, I enjoy talking with you and, and I love that you're doing this for your students. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think we just sugarcoat things too much. And like, we need more honesty and truth in life because I mean, I just had no idea how anything actually worked because nobody tells you it was like I was watching a TikTok the other day and the person's like how am I supposed to know about finances like nobody ever talks to me about them and I'm like you're right we should talk about these things yeah oh yeah it's like oh save for your future what does that mean how do I do that yes a Roth IRA like you know I I don't think that there's I said millennials are the number one example of like denied financial literacy I think we're starting now to serve students in a different way but like our whole chunk is, you know, really suffering <laughs> residual impact. I mean, so we, we have no finances to save. Like, what are we supposed to do? Like, I, I think I wish I would have known that you could invest with small amounts of money because millennials didn't have any money, but we could have been investing what little we had and been growing it a little bit more, but nobody ever told us that. Nope. Yeah. Here we are as, and what is it? I got the, what's, it's not there anymore. I had clarity money app. Um, and it was like a game changer for me. I loved it so much because it gave me a place to like track and watch and like understand oh, yeah. all of the buckets in a way that no one had quote unquote taught me to. I read like, I read it was financial freedom. I forget the author at the moment, but I posted it on social media before. And he had like a little thing where I could calculate like my net worth. And I'm like, I don't have a net worth. I'm a millennial. But then I calculated and I was like, I do have a net worth. It's small, but I was like, oh, I need to build to get this bigger. And then that kind of transformed my thinking was like, okay, now I'm going to read all these different books. Like my husband's in finance and he's like, oh, you're just now learning this stuff. Like I've been trying to teach you for years. And I'm like, well, now I'm making money. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's also like, it's that intimidation factor too. I mean, I right. the same old jargon experience that a lot of us have at work, which a lot of us have as it relates to money. One of my students talk about staying in touch. Um, I worked with them 
2013, and they're now in a master's program uh, in nonprofit management. And he and I were talking yesterday, and he's you know blogging about and starting to write on finance and empowering young adults or people who have you know needed to be in command of their finances to subsidize their own education and right. find a way into the job market in 2021, but attaching that to all of that learning and like being able to write about it in a way that other young people can understand. I like that. I was so excited. I was like, I'm never, you know, surprised by how in awe I am of like the genius, like the people that I've through the years of teaching, but it was definitely one of those things where I was like, yes, yes. And more, yes. Like we need this. And those of us who missed it can come to the party too. Like I'm glad to learn from you. (laughs) You'll have to share that with me so I can share it on social media because my students will definitely need that even if they don't know they need it yet. Cause I didn't know until I was in my thirties that I needed it. Mm -hmm. So real. Thank you so much. It was so great to see you. Keep me posted. Thank you for listening to the Career Journey Podcast. Head over to our website at careerjourneypodcast.com for more information and the latest episodes. See you next time.